Good morning again. Thank you. If you have a Bible, you can open it to Mark chapter 4. We're going to finish up chapter 4 and then get into chapter 5 a little bit, which uh, the black Bibles that are under the chairs, if you want to follow along in one of those, it's page 839 in those Bibles. We'll be right at the bottom of the page, starting off at the bottom of page 839. <clears throat> we've been calling the series Follow. We've, we've talked about this uh, every week, how... All of the Gospels call us to follow Jesus, right? But Mark is, is kind of the most urgent. There's this, there's this hurry, there's this command, uh, there's a drama there, um, an urgency. And what we see in this week's uh, little section is that we're called to follow Jesus as a warrior. And when I say warrior, uh, this, you're not really seeing Jesus... Uh, get dirty in this in this section. You're not really seeing him sweat, uh, but you're seeing him just with a word uh, push back the powers of darkness, the powers of of chaos. Um, so if if you come this morning, and I think this is universal, if you come looking for peace, right, looking for shalom, this this Old Testament word, the Hebrew word shalom, that means peace, and and really means something bigger than just no more fighting. Shalom means everything being the way it's supposed to be, right? When you have those, those little glimpses when your kids are getting along and when everything's just good between husband and wife and when the sunset is perfect and when the weather is just right. I mean, those are those little tastes of what shalom is. The good creation that's, that's no longer marred by the fall and by sin and by our own brokenness. So th- this idea of just things being the way they're supposed to be, the, the warrior comes in to restore that. And that's really what it's about. It's, so, so we need to kind of re-understand the term warrior from, from God's perspective, from uh, the scriptural perspective. In Exodus 15.3, uh, God's people have just been rescued out of slavery. Right? So they were in the, the chaos of being oppressed and being slaves, and there was genocide, their babies were being killed. I mean, it was this terrible situation when they were in slavery in Egypt. God rescues them out of this. And they begin to sing a song to Him. Just like we do every week. We sing this song to God for His rescue of us. And they sing this song and they say, The Lord is a warrior. The Lord is His name. The Lord is a warrior. And so in the text we'll see this in Jesus. What kind of warrior He is. And we're going to be called to follow Him in this. I want to just start with this first little episode. And then as we go through we'll look at the other ones. So starting in 435. Like I said, in the Black Bibles, it's kind of at the the very last paragraph on that page. Mark 4.35, On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with them. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. He said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? They're even more terrified now that the storm has stopped as they start to reckon with this this warrior, this power that is with them. Let's pray and and ask God to to teach us this morning. God, we ask that you would be here, that your spirit would meet us and that you would help us make sense out of these stories of you and what you've been doing in the world. God, we thank you that you love us and we come in faith, trusting that you are good. 
even when we don't understand what's going on all around us, Lord, we come to you as the one that can bring shalom, asking you uh, to defeat, to beat back the powers of, of chaos and everything that's gone wrong. Lord, we trust you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I've been here just over five years now uh, in this town, and so came in with some concepts of, of what a warrior was, right? But never having served in the army myself, uh, kind of have learned what that looks like and have gotten different snapshots as I've met different warriors, different soldiers, different people in the army over the last several years. Become very good friends uh, with, with many people in the army. As some of you, if, if you're new to the area and you don't know, there's a lot of people in the army in this town. So. I, just, just so you know, just get that out there. Um, and so several years ago, we had, we had just started the church, really just begun. And So I'm a new pastor. I'd been a, I'd been a sidekick assistant pastor for many years, but I'd never been the, the grown-up pastor, right? And, and so I was doing one of my first hospital visitations as the grown-up pastor of this new church and going to visit someone who had just come back from a deployment. And I go to meet this guy, a soldier that had come back from deployment, and he had gotten this terrible infection uh, really, I guess he got it right before he left and gotten really sick and was so bad that they had to hospitalize him as soon as they got him home. And so this guy, you know, had escaped battle and all these things had gone on uh, over there in Iraq and then gets really sick and is about to die just from a bacterial infection. And so I meet him in the hospital. He's kind of shriveled up and he's kind of sick um, and he's, you know, starting to recover by the time I saw him. Uh, but, you know, he's got, like, patches of beard where they taped things to him. You know, he just looked looked terrible, was pale, was kind of dried up, and, and, you know, just was in bad shape. And this is how I meet this guy. But but over time, this this man became now kind of a symbol for me of what a warrior looks like, of what it looks like to be brave. Because as I got to know him, even then in the hospital, so sick, he just had a great great sense of humor. You know, he's just very humble, just kind of laughing the whole thing off. Yeah, you know, I survived a 15-month deployment and, you know, now I almost died from this stupid infection or, you know, whatever it is. Just was, we're just kind of humble about it and had a good sense of humor about it. He was, he was getting better. As I got to know him more, I heard from a couple other guys, yeah, he actually got blown up in a tank once also. And he also got blown up in a Humvee as well and kind of walked away with, with not much of a scratch. So this was a guy who had survived quite a few near-death experiences. Yet he was humble. Yet he had a sense of humor. And he had this confidence about him. And I think Stonewall Jackson has a great quote about this. But he had this confidence because of knowing who he belonged to. Right? He knew that he belonged to God. He really wasn't afraid of death because he knew that Jesus had conquered death for him. And I can talk about him like this because he's not here anymore, and I know he won't get a big head from hearing this. But, but just this, you know, this person that had this confidence in, in what God had done for him. He had this peace. And uh, he, he had, a, I guess, pretty high rank and was, you know, had a pretty important position, but always walked in humility. Always was humorous, always had fun in life because he knew God had called him to do what he was doing and that he could die at any moment. And he was, he was just ready to go. He was just ready to do whatever God called him to do. Now, uh, you know, you want to be careful because I don't want to necessarily compare him to Jesus. But what's interesting in, in what we see in Jesus' life is we see this similar kind of calm. We see this peace that he just kind of carries with him. When we see Jesus as a warrior, again, we don't see Him getting worked up. We don't see Him panicking. We don't see Him sweating. But we see Him pushing back these powers of darkness and chaos with, with just a word. 
and so as we as we think about God as a warrior, as we think about like what Exodus fifteen three says that the Lord is a warrior, we see we see Jesus as this warrior pushing back the darkness in the world. I want us to think about why we should follow him in that. And the first thing that I think we should follow is that he's fearless. He's fearless. He he helps us to not be afraid because Jesus is not afraid. He's he's completely fearless. We see this in the story. There's this huge storm out on the boats. And I want you to remember from context, these guys, most of them are fishermen, right? Most of these guys grew up around the lake. So kind of like when a tornado blows through here, we have lots of tornadoes. We're like, well, I guess I should go in the hallway. A tornado's coming through. You know, we're not, we're not that freaked out about it because we're kind of used to it. And these guys would be somewhat used to storms on the lake. But they're terrified. So this was, this was a big deal. This was a big storm. They were very afraid. And they were so afraid that they decided to wake up Jesus during his nap, right? Jesus is taking a nap. He's not afraid at all. He's completely relaxed. He's completely fearless. He has this supernatural calm in the midst of the storm. In verse 38 it says, He was in the stern asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? I think a lot of us can relate to that, right? I mean, have you, have you been in those places in life where it's all kind of crashing in, you're in this storm, so to speak, where everything is uh, unraveling in your life, and you feel like, God, do you not care that we are perishing? You feel like, God, if, if you really cared about me, wouldn't you just stop this? Wouldn't it just be over? And what I really want to challenge us with is that we can be fearless in the midst of a storm. That God doesn't necessarily stop the storm immediately. That we often go through storms and that He continues to walk with us. And that our our fearlessness is based on His fearlessness and based on what He is doing in our life and and not based on Him always immediately stopping everything that's wrong. We, We look forward to that future. He's promised He is fixing it permanently in the future. All of that's going to go away. But as we've talked the last few weeks, Peter talks about this age that we live in as this age of great patience. That God is not slow as some count slowness, but He is patient, giving all men everywhere a chance to repent. He doesn't want any to perish, but He wants to give people an opportunity to turn to Him and find grace in Him. And so we live in this storm still. We are still in the midst of the storm, and we are to trust in our warrior, Savior, who is fearless, and trust that He knows what He's doing, trust that He's in control, even when we feel so out of control. They say, Teacher, do you not care that we're perishing? And he woke up. It says in verse 39, He rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was great calm. That's an important picture for us to get, right? He is in absolute control. The storm obeys Him. The storm immediately ceases. But again, we've got to get the, the part before that. Sometimes we go through the storm. Sometimes we're in the middle of a storm. Sometimes we feel like, God, you don't care. Why are you not stopping this right now? So he does stop the storm. It ceased. There was a great calm. There was peace. There was shalom. Everything was the way it's supposed to be. Verse 40, it says, Why are you so afraid? Jesus said, Why are you still so afraid? You still have no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Tim Keller makes a comment about this in his book on the Gospel of Mark, how there's this transition from them being afraid to them having great fear, being utterly terrified. Right? They were afraid before when they were going through the storm, and now they are utterly terrified. 
The only thing scarier than the stuff that we go through in life is a holy and awesome God. That's the only thing more scary than the junk that we live through. And so now they're even more afraid. They're even more terrified. And so what the Scriptures tells us is that we should even be more afraid of a holy God than we should be of any temporary situation we're going through. And that God has provided the solution to that fear in Jesus Christ. He's the one that's bridged that gap for us. He came and gave His life for us to take our sin upon Himself so that we didn't have to be afraid, but that we could be accepted into His arms as forgiven, as adopted, as His children. And so Jesus provides the ultimate solution to our fear. As we think about being afraid and the storms that we go through in life, I wanted you to think a little bit about what are the things that really scare you in your life? What are, what are the things you're afraid of? What's your nightmare, right? What are the nightmares that you have? What wakes you up in, in the middle of the night? I was thinking about uh, recurring nightmares I had all the time as a kid. I would have this nightmare again and again as a kid. I wanted to give you a little picture of it. Brace yourself, okay? You ready? It's going to be scary. This was this recurring nightmare that I had over and over again as a child. It's not the sidewalk, but it's the driveway, okay? It's the driveway. I would have this recurring nightmare. Um, it would be a driveway sometimes. Sometimes it would be a movie theater. And like if, say, this room was sloped, you know how in a movie theater the aisles coming down to the front slope down? So I'd have this recurring nightmare of walking down the aisle at the movie theater and then falling and falling and I couldn't stop, right? Or going down the driveway or like I was on a little bike because I would have these dreams when I was like six years old. So I'm a little kid and I'm walking down these slopes and I can't stop myself. And you're probably thinking there's, there's something wrong with Dave. We're worried about him. Um, <laughs> Because most people have nightmares about monsters, right? Really scary things. But, but I show you that, you know, partially to make fun of myself, but also to help you understand that there are, there are kind of abstract things in our life that we're afraid of, right? Because most of you probably don't have nightmares about monsters. Anybody here have nightmares about, like, monsters? Vampires? Some of you? Okay, sorry about that. We'll talk later. But, but for most of us, not that you're unusual, but for most of us... There are these greater things that we're really deeply afraid of, right? I mean, the way I would explain this, this feeling of falling down a slope when I was a little kid, this recurring nightmare I had over like eight or nine years of my basically elementary years growing up, is the feeling of just being out of control. I didn't like being out of control. I wanted, I wanted to be able to control me. You know, that, that just falling and I couldn't stop. That, that was the feeling over and over again. And that was the fear that I had. And one of the things that God had to really deal with in my own life when I came to, to know Him and came to walk with Him, I, I became a believer and started walking with Christ when I was 17 years old, it was recognizing that I am absolutely not in control. I had to, I had to come to peace with that, but that He is. And so my challenge for you is, is what is your nightmare? What is the thing that you're afraid of? What is the threat to you? What is the thing that uh, you think is going to undo everything in your life? And I want to take that and I want you to hold that up to, to Jesus, to the warrior who in, in Psalm 2 we have this picture of all the nations conspiring against him and it says he laughs. He just laughs. He is utterly unafraid. He is fearless. And the challenge is not so much that we would be fearless, but the challenge is that we would live through the fear knowing that he is fearless. Knowing that he is the warrior and we have confidence in him to overcome whatever storm we're in the middle of whatever nightmare we're living through. But one of the things that's both terrible and beautiful about being a pastor is that I get to walk through um, the worst nightmares that, that people ever face. I walk through that with people. 
And it's terrible because you don't want to see that in someone's life. And it's beautiful because I get to see people trusting God in the midst of those terrible circumstances. I get to, I get to walk alongside people and as their pastor trying to, trying to encourage them and praying with them and trying to, to help them, but really being helped as I see them cling to Jesus in the midst of the storm. As I see them hope in Him and not hope in themselves. Uh, someone we just, whose marriage just kind of blew up last week. Uh, seeing her testify that I know, I know God can work through this. I know God can still be good in the midst of everything unraveling. That, that kind of encouragement is a wonderful thing. And I want to encourage you that you can, you can have that in the midst of the storm. God doesn't always necessarily just take away all storms when you come to know Him. But He's going to be with you through that. And He's fearless. And so we can trust in Him. We can ride through these storms as we see Him as the answer. See Him as the warrior. As you think about it in that sense, um, you may be tempted to think, okay, well then he doesn't care, right? And we have to balance these things that we live in a world where, where evil will still take place and we will still go through storms, but that doesn't mean he's utterly careless. God, the story of the Bible is that God is going to avenge all evil. There will be a day of reckoning and there's this future that we're working towards where everything will be made right. So the time we live in now, we are living in this time of patience, Right and extending God's grace and forgiveness to those around us and learning to walk in that ourselves. But there's a future when everything will be reckoned. And so the next thing that we see in the next little story is that he's a warrior that does subdue evil. Not only is he fearless and unafraid of evil, and that helps us to walk through the dark things that we go through, but he subdues evil. He beats back evil. We see this in chapter 5. So if you're in the Black Bibles, flip the page. Uh, page 840, chapter 5 of Mark, chapter 5, verse 1. says, They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. Um, and there's textual variants here. Uh, Gerasenes, Gergesenes, Gadarenes. There, there's all these different variations where they've had problems copying this. And what we come to realize is sometimes there's confusion about that because they're all good options. They're all kind of in the same area. So some of these textual variants really encourages us, okay, the Bible is reliable because even when there might be some kind of little error like that, all of those errors make sense. They're all in the region of the Decapolis. They're crossing over uh, the Sea of Galilee. And so down kind of on the southwestern side, you've got the Jewish region. And on the northeastern side, you've got the more pagan region. So they're crossing over. They came to the other side of the sea. They're now in pagan territory in the Decapolis region, which is much more Greek, much more pagan, much less Jewish. Verse 2 says, And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. Immediately. There's that word again. Verse 3 says, He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. So this is a, this is a scary dude. Verse 4 says, For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. So this is a setup. No one can subdue him. He's breaking chains. He's hurting himself. It says here, uh, no one had the strength to subdue him. Verse 5, night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. He's now hurting himself. He's crying out. He's hurt other people. No one could subdue him. No one could, could handle him. He lives among the tombs. This is, this is someone who's scary. This is someone whose life has now been consumed with evil. Verse 6 says, And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. 
And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. What's really fascinating is when you read first century literature about exorcisms, um, when it's not Jesus, knowing the name is very important. That was part of how exorcisms worked. You need to know the name of the demon. And there was these fights that would happen. And so you've kind of got a battle here. It's like a a scene in a movie. You know how in the movie when the bad guy starts to win and then the good guy's winning and there's this kind of back and forth. That's basically what we have here in this fight, in this kind of interaction between Jesus uh, and this demon-possessed man. So he knows Jesus' name, which is very important. That means he has the upper hand in in first-century exorcism belief, okay? Um, which I'm not really an expert on, but I read it in a book. So, so he knows Jesus' name. He says, Jesus, Son of the Most High God, I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. Verse 9, And Jesus asked him, What is your name? So here's kind of the back and forth. And Jesus, you would think, typically of that day, needs to know the name to pull the demon out. So Jesus asks for the name, and he replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. So this is the back and forth. Now, he's scary. He's not giving his name. Oh no, Jesus doesn't know his name. How's he going to get the demons out? There's a legion. Do you all know a legion is like 6,000 Roman soldiers? So it's, it's a huge army of demons. That's what he's saying. That's what the word legion means. There's thousands of demons. And Jesus doesn't know their name. But then the story shifts. And you see who is in command. In verse 10, it becomes very clear. Jesus is not afraid. Jesus is not out of control. It really doesn't matter if he knows the name or not. He's not subject to the rules of how demons worked in those days. He's in absolute control. It says in verse 10, And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Please don't send us out. In verse 11, Now a great herd of pigs were feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, Send us to the pigs. Let us enter into them. So Jesus gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs. And the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and were drowned in the sea. So we have this picture, again, of Jesus being in absolute control. The typical idea of the day is they need to know the name, and the, the demons knew Jesus' name, but he didn't know their name, and he's just like, it's no worry. He's, he's fearless. He's utterly in command. He is the one that's completely capable of subduing evil, of pushing back the darkness. And he allows them to go into the pigs. He's like, alright, cast them into the pigs. The pigs all kill themselves. Go over a cliff and die. We see Jesus winning this huge victory. Going against what they normally knew in that day. When I was thinking about uh, the idea of pushing back evil and pushing back the darkness, I was thinking about a job. I've told you all several times before that I used to have a job as a security guard. And so it's kind of funny, right? Because, you know... Security guards don't really do that much. We don't really have guns. I'm basically armed with a flashlight. Um, one of the great things that I had that I loved to, to whip out was the, uh, the magnetic light that goes on top of the Jeep Cherokee, right? And uh, so when I was really kind of bored and, and wanted to really push back the darkness, I would strap the magnetic light onto my Jeep Cherokee and just drive around with the light going off. Really, you know, for no reason whatsoever. Just to, just to scare the bad guys, right? And uh, I, I joke about it, but, but in reality, that was my job. In reality, we can joke, you know, what bad guy would really be uh, scared by a, a nerdy theological student with a light on his Jeep, right? <laughs> but, 
But that was, that was what we were hired for, right? We were hired to, to just have a presence. To just have a presence to push back the darkness. Over and over again in Scripture, we have, we have this concept that if, if God's people were to just do what's right, it would push back the dominion of evil in this world. Jesus is utterly unafraid of what is evil. Jesus is not terrified. And we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. You, you don't have to understand the names of the demons to push back what's evil in the world. You, you have to walk with Jesus. You have to know Him and love Him. The way He says it in Matthew 5 is, Let your light shine before men, that they may see your good deeds, and praise your Father in heaven. Just last week we saw that Jesus said, He's the light, right? And He said, The purpose of the light is not to be hidden. We don't cover the light. And he said the same thing in Matthew 5. You don't put it under a bushel. Jesus is the light. And if you know Jesus, then that light is in you. That light spreads through you wherever you go. And that's what our job is. That's how we push back the darkness. And it seems almost too simple. It seems too easy. But over and over again in Scripture, that's what we're supposed to do. I've told you all before the testimony of Gary Haugen who started the International Justice Mission. He was supposed to document abuses in uh, Rwanda during the genocide. So he's this lawyer working for uh, the uh, State Department or something. He's documenting these abuses and he goes and sees things that are so horrible he can't even even imagine it. It just blows his mind. And he's just in prayer and he's seeking God and this, God, where were you? God, where were you? And he felt like God was answering him, where are my people? Where were my people? And that, that's, again, that's the age we live in now. We live in an age of evil, and we are to share Jesus' light with those around us. And it makes it very simple in Scripture that we, we do good things. We, we love people. We're good neighbors. We obey God, and that pushes back the darkness. Again, we don't have to know a whole bunch of magic stuff about demonology and evil and understand how all that works. We, we need to obey God. You know, the greatest way that Satan works in the world is by tempting us, by being the accuser, by being the one that whispers in our ear that we can't trust God. So the way we fight the darkness is by trusting Him. Trusting Him as the one who is subduing evil, who is pushing back the darkness. Even though it's not all done yet, He is in process. It is happening, and He uses us in that process. There's a great verse in James 4, 7. It says, Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Again, when we, we talk about demons, we talk about the scary stuff, it's not so that we'll get all worked up and scared and have nightmares. I mean, demons, the, the devil is just like a bully, that if you just stand up, they, they flee. It's, a, it's very simple. Submit yourselves to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. He will run away. We don't have to be afraid. The, the God that we serve is a warrior. He is beating back the darkness. We can follow him in obedience. We can trust him. We can know that, that He's good. I wanted to think about a few different areas where we struggle with this in our life, just to kind of try to unravel this a little bit for you or unpack this. I think uh, one of these areas is in the area of sex, right? If the world is broken and it doesn't really matter, then, then we're going to have the view that we just need to find a little, a little fleeting uh, moment of enjoyment, right? And we won't view sex in the biblical way. Instead of seeing it as a covenant a beautiful thing that God has given to us as a gift within marriage. And so we beat back the darkness as we just trust Him and believe that He's right. And we don't go through those fleeting moments of joy because we don't really believe it matters because God's not really in control and the world's all falling apart anyway. No, we trust that He is beating back the darkness, that He is good, that we can trust Him and then we'll begin to live our lives in line with Him. 
I think another area of that is uh, in the way that we deal with alcohol and not even necessarily alcohol and drugs, but even things like entertainment, I think, can, can fill this role. But sometimes if we think God is not really in control, we think the world is evil, we don't think He's really beating back the darkness, we'll begin to numb ourselves. And like I said, a lot of times that's alcohol, that's drugs, but, but sometimes it's just entertainment. Sometimes it's just busyness, right? We just want to take our mind off of it. We just kind of want to step out. And we take ourselves out of the fight. And we're no longer trying to subdue evil. We're no longer trying to live for righteousness and do what's right with our lives. Love God, love neighbor, but we're just kind of trying to pull out. It's like, I, can't, I just can't deal with this. I need to, I need to eject. And I think a final area that I would say is the way that we handle our resources. Right? If, if you really believe that God is in control, if He's pushing back the evil in the world, then you'll trust that that day is coming when all things will be made right and your ultimate inheritance is still coming to you. Instead of spending all your time hoarding now, right? You'll begin to be generous now instead of hoarding now. You'll give what you have instead of holding on to what you have and thinking, this is all I've got. I've got to make the most of now. If you really trust that He is in control and that evil is not out of control and He knows what He's doing, He's pushing it back and He wants to use you in the process, then you'll begin to share what you have and that will become part of the war against what's wrong in the world. Your own generosity. He will use you in the fight. The last thing that we see as we look at this is that the warrior is rejected. So we should follow Him because... Because He is fearless. We should follow Him because He is subduing evil. He is pushing it back. Finally, we should follow Him even though He is rejected. And often we will be rejected as well. And this picks up in verse 14. Just these few little verses here in verse 14. It says, The herdsmen, the ones keeping the pigs, right? This, this I want to say flock of pigs. It's herd of pigs, right? The, the herd of pigs that the demons go into, they kill themselves. So we've got this mass pig suicide, right? And, and so they, they go off and the herdsmen are freaked out. They fled and told it in the city and in the country and people came to see what it was that had happened so they're all coming out and in verse 15 it says and they came to Jesus and they saw the demon possessed man the one who had had the legion sitting there clothed and in his right mind and they were afraid and those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon possessed man and to the pigs and they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region now this is how this works in churches uh, we actually care and we share God's grace with people. We, we love people who are broken. And people will see those people sitting with us in their right mind and think, well, what is that person doing there? And they'll be upset because of the messiness of this Jesus that we walk with. And that's what's happening here, right? This, this guy that's living in the tombs, that's cutting himself and is screaming and howling and can't be restrained, and Jesus frees him. And he's now buddies with Jesus. I mean, what would you think if you saw this guy hanging out with Jesus? I'm not going. I'm staying away from him, right? And that's what they do. And we have to be ready for that as a community of those who follow Jesus. That that will play out here. I've seen that play out here. I've seen people uncomfortable with the messiness of how we walk with Jesus, and that we're willing to embrace people that are that are messed up, that don't have their lives completely together. And as we pursue this God of grace and as we invite people in and try to set people free with Jesus' help from whatever evil is dominating them, that's going to be upsetting to people. That's not going to fit in their box of of predictability and stable life. And they're going to reject that Jesus. They're going to reject us often with that as well. They're going to say, we don't want that. that. That's not... 
what I want. I was thinking of this idea of rejecting something that's really wonderful and how, you know, I think we do that every day here in our culture. We have a very rich, we have a very wealthy culture. I mean, uh, some of you may have had friends from third world countries and, and you recognize they, they go through um, just this emotional turmoil just walking through our grocery stores. Have you all ever known folks that, that come from poor countries? And it's just overwhelming to them to see the abundance and all that we have just like falling off the shelves in our grocery stores, right? You walk down the cereal aisle and everything is sweet and everything is colorful and it's just thousands of boxes. And we just, we're used to that. Yeah, I'm always choosing between one awesome thing and another awesome thing, right? That's just, that's how we live and we, we're so spoiled in that. I, I found a picture here of a piece of pie and I wanted you to think through the, just the concept of what it looks like to reject that that is good. Now, many of you might say, Dave, I've never rejected a piece of pie, so I don't really get this illustration, but, but just think about the third or the fourth piece of pie, right? You've all been there, right? Where there comes a point, there comes a point where you're like, I'm, that's, I'm, I've got enough. I don't need any more. I'm full. I'm happy. Jesus talks about this in Revelation as being really one of the scary marks of, of not knowing Jesus, is thinking that you're full, thinking that you're rich, thinking that you have enough. And it's the, the most insidious danger that we live with living in this culture. Because we can't see it, because it's all around us. Right? We, we just think, I'm, I'm full, I'm good. I've got everything I need. Well, maybe I need one more good. Well, my neighbor's got the new thing, so I guess I need the new thing, right? But, but now I'm good. And, and we can get so distracted and not recognize the, the ultimate pie, to stretch the illustration a little bit, right, of Jesus. We, we reject what is good because we think we're full. We think we have everything that we need, and, and we reject Him. And I want to challenge you that, that He is the ultimate solution. And if, you're really, if you really recognize the depth of your brokenness, the depth of your need... The, depth, the reality of the storm that we're walking through. And that makes it easier for you to recognize the grace that's provided in Jesus, how, how good He really is. That you're not full, but really you're, you're naked and you're blind and, and you need Him. And the Scriptures say again and again that, that that's the place that we need to get to, to recognize our need of Him, to recognize what He provides, the grace that He gives to us. If you look at verse 18, this theme is picked up here. Look at verse 18. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. So a first proper response to being set free by Jesus, by receiving his grace, is just, you just want to be with him, right? I, I want to be with you. We call that worship, right? That desire, that honor of God, you are good. Jesus, you are so good. What you have done for me is amazing. And in verse 19... So Jesus did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and everyone marveled. So we have this interesting pattern here. It's much like what we see in the Apostle Paul's life in the book of Philippians where Paul says, It would be so much better for me to just die and be with Jesus. But he's left me here to share with other people. That's kind of what Jesus does with the demon-possessed man here. I just, want to, I just want to be with you, Jesus. Forget my family. I just want to be with you. And he says, no, go back and share with your town. The Decapolis was actually this whole region, this whole pagan region around uh, the lake here. It wasn't just it's ten cities is literally what it means. So it's this metro area. He says, go back and, and share. And he shares. And God is awesome. And God is honored. And more people find hope in Jesus because of this man sharing. 
And what I want to challenge you with is that this is one of the ways that you recognize if you've really had a genuine encounter with Jesus. If He's set you free, first of all, you're going to want to be with Him. Second of, second of all, it's going, to, it's going to overflow. You're going to share that with other people. And we've talked about this before. No, you're not necessarily a preacher. No, you're not necessarily going to go start a radio show for Jesus, right? But, but it's just going to come out of you. You can't help but just share the grace and the hope that you found in Him. You're going to share it with people that you love. You're going to share it with people around you. And that's a mark that we see in this man's life. He's been set free. He's amazed by Jesus and who He is. And He's, he's overflowing with it now. And Jesus is being honored. Well, as we wrap up, I wanted us to kind of go back to the beginning of this idea of Jesus saving them through the storm. And a lot of commentators think that there's a lot of great symbolism here of how Jesus or how God in the Old Testament saved His people through the waters. You know, I started off with the, this song that they sang in Exodus 15 where they said, The Lord is a warrior. The Lord is His name. He conquered His enemies. He saved them through the waters of the Red Sea. He parted the waters. And when you read through the Psalms and through the, the prophets, you see this theme come back to again and again. Just how we relentlessly go back to the cross and what Jesus has accomplished for us by taking our sin upon Himself and by rising from the dead, the Old Testament saints relentlessly went back to the Exodus over and over again. And they said, look at what God has done. He saved us through the storm. He saved us through the waters. And the way that the Old Testament saints would commemorate that uh, conquest, the way that they would commemorate that salvation that God had worked for them is they would remember this lamb that was sacrificed for them. Right? They would celebrate the Passover. And they would uh, sacrifice this perfect lamb that took their place. And Jesus took that with his, uh, with his Jewish disciples and He transformed that into what we now observe as communion. And He says, as you gather for this symbolic meal, remember that I'm the lamb. Remember that I'm the one that broke my body for you. I'm the one that spilled my blood for you. Remember that I'm the warrior that has beaten back the darkness. Let's pray. God, we thank You. We thank You that You love us and that You are the warrior that has conquered all that we're afraid of. And God, I pray that that would give us a fearlessness as we walk with You, that we would cling to You. Even when we're afraid, that we would hope in You as the ultimate warrior that we can trust, the one who is mighty to save, the one who delights in us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.